Welcome to the Theology Ki Baat podcast, where Christian theologians and Bible scholars talk about issues from India and how we as Indian Christians can engage these issues through biblical and theological reflection. Theology Ki Baat is a podcast by the faculty of the Evangelical Theological Seminary of the Asian Christian Academy of India and ACA Media. You can learn more about ETS at www.ets-india.org and about the other ministries of ACA at www.acaindia.org. So welcome to this episode of Theology Ki Baat. Yes. I'm Dr. Stephen George with Dr. Saji Thomas. And today we want to talk about the Lord's Table, the Lord's Supper. Yes. And we want to talk about the issues, both theological, but really we also want to get into some very practical questions people may have had. And uh, especially as Dr. Saji, with his pastoral experience, may have seen issues. And so a lot of the questions we're going to discuss and related to the Lord's Supper have to do with theological, biblical questions, but also some practical issues. And uh, we hope that this discussion will be very helpful uh, and very practical for all of you. Yes. So as we start off on this, let's start off by uh, defining the Lord's Supper. One mm. of the questions that comes up or words that is used is ordinance and sacrament. Sacraments, yes. So how do we define the difference between these? And among evangelical groups, some call it sacraments, some yes. call it ordinance. Uh, how do we define it and what are, what's the difference between these terms? Okay. Um, well, it's good to be back uh, recording and doing the podcast again. And uh, uh, this this topic is theological, but it is also very practical. And, you know, uh, throughout the history of the church, uh, God's people have understood uh, this uh, uh, instruction uh, that the Lord has given to the disciples to do practice. And uh, they have given uh, different meanings as well. And churches uh, practice differently. And then there's a whole array of how at a local level, different churches practice this as well, isn't it? So uh, I don't know if we can, you know, get to everything and it's not like we have all of the answers or the best answers, but hopefully our conversation will um, uh, stir up uh, our listeners uh, thinking and uh, hopefully we'll all have something to learn together. Um, so, uh, one of the major difference um, by way of categorizing is the word that we use, whether we should use ordinance, which simply would mean uh, the instruction or ordinance, the decree mm -hmm. the Lord Jesus gave to the church, right. or do we give a more loaded uh, term mm -hmm. like sacrament, because sacrament uh, has the idea and the churches, including some of the Protestant churches that uh, use the word sacrament uh, imply or um, convey uh, the idea of uh, the Lord's table, like baptism, as a means of imparting grace. Right, right. And I yeah. think that's the key difference the key between, difference. Right. Um, you know, the ordinance mm -hmm. uh, by which we simply mean we do these things because the Lord says so, and um, uh, uh, perhaps also including the idea that these are mere memorial or symbolic mm -hmm. in nature and are by themselves, whether baptism or uh, Lord's table or any other sacraments that uh, some of the other congregations have 
um, are means of grace. Uh, we do not hold that to be uh, Christian teaching or, um, you know, uh, can be supported by the scriptures. So I think that's the key difference between the two terms. Right. Uh, and even in the even in the way the Lord's Supper is viewed, we usually have these four different um, perspectives on what right. the Lord's right. Supper is. The right. first one being the the Roman Catholic view of transubstantiation, right. the Lutheran view of consubstantiation, and a Reformed view and then we have uh, the Zwinglian memorial view. Memorial, yeah. So how would you explain these, if you were to explain this to a person in your church, yeah. how do you define and explain these? Yeah, um, uh, th this will take two, three hours of lecture, <laughs> but we'll try to summarize. Uh, actually, the Catholic view, uh, which I think essentially is held by also the Eastern Orthodox mm -hmm. um, uh, Church, um, they view and, and they call the Lord's table or the, um, you know, that view is uh, called uh, transubstantiation, where the elements of the bread and uh, the juice undergo a transformation where they literally become the body and uh, blood of Christ. And um, uh, by the way, we need to also say that uh, along with the idea of transubstantiation, meaning the substance is transformed, that's what transubstantiation means. They also uh, have the idea of propitiation. Uh, we usually when we you know define Roman Catholic we, we just say that it's transubstantiation but they also believe that it is propitiatory in nature. Mm -hmm. That is every every time a Eucharist is conducted or a Mass is conducted that it is propitiatory. Mm -hmm. they, they believe that it has the same value as the very death of Jesus on the cross mm -hmm. and thereby participating in that um, mass and participating the elements, the participation itself is propitiatory. That and is, thereby is, that's how the means of grace is, the is, means is of grace done is because important. every mass is a sacramental act of uh, actual sacrifice of Christ, right. the body and the blood and therefore propitiatory, therefore right. a means of grace right. Uh, right. and therefore sacramental yes. in that sense. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And um, Luther, of course, who believed that salvation is by faith alone, mm -hmm. uh, he actually did not depart too much from uh, the Roman Catholic view. He did, uh, in all his writings, he did um, reject the Roman Catholic propitiatory view and even the substant, uh, you know, transubstantiatory view. But he uh, could not reject the idea that the presence of Christ is in the element. Mm -hmm. Now, for him, the presence of Christ is in the element in a spiritual way, yeah. right? It, uh, the elements does not themselves change mm -hmm. uh, to something else that is the flesh and blood of Christ, but the presence of Christ are in yes. those elements mm -hmm. and thereby partaking it is mm -hmm. still works as a means of grace. Right, That's right. why uh, the Lutheran churches and other churches like that still like to use the word, trans I mean, um, Sacrament, 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 yeah, right, because right. it's still a means of grace by participating. Yeah. Um, Zwingli came along and he, um, you know, rejected both those ideas and uh, propounded the memorial view. Right? But uh, the reformed view is slightly different again in between mm -hmm. uh, Luther and memorial. Uh, uh, the main proponent being uh, Cal uh, Calvin, John Calvin. Mm. Uh, he uh, believes that um, uh, the elements does not have, the elements does not become something else than what it is 
neither is the spiritual presence of Christ in the elements. But he still believed that by participating, they are signs. Mm -hmm. You know, just like baptism is a sign of our union with Christ in the body of Christ, uh, the um, partaking of the elements, uh, while we partake of the elements with the rest of the community in the church, the Holy Spirit somehow unites us to the body of Christ. Okay. And therefore, uh, it has spiritual benefit. So he didn't go too far from the sacramental idea, right. um, but he is more close to the memorial idea, but he still believes that it is more than memorial. Okay. And that there is spiritual benefit. Our soul is nourished Mm -hmm. as we partake of the Lord's okay. table. Uh, I, I tend to value some of that mm -hmm. because uh, the memorial view can sometimes almost minimize mm -hmm. any value at all and right. take, you know, participate or not participate at all right. at our women wish. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something that we memorialists yeah. <laughs> miss out on that. And I think there's some value that um, Calvin may have to offer it, although I don't hold to the Calvinist Right. reformed view, yeah. at least personally speaking. Yeah, and I'm wondering if there is any particular uh, scripture, it might be again a theological view in the sense of this, if this is the body and the blood of Christ, and yeah. if this is in a sense commanded by the Lord, um, there are, there's probably an understanding of spiritual presence or blessing right. involved, right. but it's not explicitly stated right. as yeah. far as... I think I Calvin's main argument comes from chapter 10 of Corinthians, where mm -hmm. You know, he, uh, where Paul talks about, um, you know, the importance of we staying away from food offered to idols mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, ask these rhetorical question, is not the uh, bread we partake, you know, uh, is it not participation with the body of Christ? And, mm -hmm. you know, that, that kind of a language. language so he right. draws, he sees something more than the memorial mm -hmm. in that uh, language of Paul. Okay. So let's look at the practical applications yeah. now as we participate. Who gets to participate? Anybody who is born again, do they need to be baptized? Um, do they need to be the church members? Is it, is it a, you know, sometimes there are things like a closed communion only yeah. for those who are members in the local assembly. Um, what, what, are, what are the things that we see from scripture or, or arguments we see yeah. for one way or another? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what are uh, your own experience, Dr. Stephen. Uh, I've been in a church where I preached one time where after they finished the preaching, the, the entire service, uh, the elders announced uh, that we will leave the children and visitors mm -hmm. uh, in the sanctuary and we went to, literally to the upper room okay. and we had a closed door okay. communion. And I but you were visiting that church? I was visiting, I was preaching. Okay, and they allowed you to they, come? They allowed me okay. uh, to uh, participate. Although on the other hand, mm -hmm. I had been to another church where I was invited to preach and because I was not from that congregation mm -hmm. or not from that denomination right. they uh, they allowed me to preach they gave me a you know great recommendation or commendation uh -huh. as i spoke but did not give me the the lord's table, <laughs> lord's table <so. laughs> okay yeah um, i think my dad has also mentioned that too he's gone to a church where he has preached but they did not let him partake in the table right. uh, i have been to a church where uh, they, you had to either get a letter from a similar type of assembly right, right. and then you could partake. Right. But you'd have to get that letter, actual letter. And it, 
you know, it had to be from that particular right, right. type of church yeah. that was there. I think there, there is uh, some value as, uh, and I'll, you know, mention, um, uh, you know, because it's a good practice uh, in the brethren uh, churches. I know that um, uh, if you are a visitor in that congregation, you'll have to stand up and give right. a testimony from where you are coming mm -hmm. and you know uh, assuming assuming that you are coming from a brother and congregation where you are in good standing, good standing so right. standing up and sharing that right. and uh, i think i've heard the expression that i would like to participate in the communion right uh, with the congregation here yeah, right. and upon the testimony of that individual then you know the church might extend uh, the invitation to participate right um, <clears throat> I think this is an important uh, question and in our own church we uh, struggle how to define and how to uh, practice this because we are um, uh, convinced that um, the Lord's table is given by Christ to the church for the church and therefore the participants must be saved, baptized and are active members of the local church okay. and so we don't call it closed communion mm -hmm. but we pretty much practice close communion close yeah <laughs> yeah so uh. Uh, and and so we announce every sunday i mean every uh, every time we have the lord's table uh that this is meant for saved uh baptized and are um you know active members of uh, uh the church members now um, we don't force that we don't implement it you know forcefully that is uh, we make the uh, elements available to all our deacons or pastors as we distribute we give it to all we gesture offering to all but we would make enough of announcement uh, to help people to stay away if they are not regular members uh, i mean if they are not active members of our church or if they are if they have been visiting so practically our church uh, what, what happens is you know this is a city church and we have invariably people coming you know two three visitors every sunday right and so if we have just visitors who are coming from another church another city and they are in good standing uh you know active you know saved baptized and active members of another church but they're just going through the city mm -hmm. then we would invite them okay. and and we would say yeah you are a fellow believer walking in obedience to the scriptures and so you're most welcome we would like to know who you are so sometimes we'll try to catch up with them ahead of the service because we do the lord's table since pandemic we do the lord's table uh, after our morning service and so we have a separate service set apart for the lord's table service. so we try to catch up uh, any of our visitors but our problem is with uh, uh, those who say that they are saved and are um, maybe even baptized and have been attending our church for months together sometimes years together but they don't want to take membership mm. you know you know what i'm okay. saying right. so they don't want to get get involved they don't want to get married mm. <laughs> to the life of the church right. so for us that is a problem because it it takes away the church's authority to um, oversee and watch over their spiritual life um, it's a matter of church discipline so because they are not members we do not know what is going on really in their spiritual life mm -hmm. we, we are not able to keep a close watch there's no accountability within the 
congregation. They have not made a you know, covenant with the church. Mm. Uh, one of the things we do during our uh, communion service is read our church covenant. Mm. Uh, we do it once a month, mm. and that's another topic yeah. <laughs> that we can talk about. But historically, that's our practice. So we read the church covenant. We renew our accountability and, you know, um, uh, our responsibility towards each other. And so we can't do that with someone who has been coming for months together or years together without yeah. taking that step of right. becoming members. What if, okay, maybe let's work it from the beginning. So yeah. first of all, why should a person be a born-again believer? And then what's the argument for being baptized? And then as we go to the membership part, right, right. So let's kind of maybe work it away. I think the first part, why should anyone be a believer, right? right. I think is the more is the easier one, easiest one to answer. This right, is the Lord's right. table, right. and we are participating into the table, understanding what does this table mean. Right. This right. table means, this, as look, going back to how Christ instituted this, the day of the Passover, the night he was betrayed, he said, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me, pointing to the cross that he right. was about to go to. Right. And so very much the story of the, of, of the Christian faith centers around the cross. Right. And right. this table tells us brings us into a practice yes. that as part of a practice by taking part in the bread and the cup we're constantly as it says proclaiming the Lord's death yeah. until he comes and that yeah. death becomes so important so central unless one is a believer into what that death right. has done right. therefore participation right. in the table right. is is meaningless it's meaningless yeah. so they can't be a partake, partake yeah. of that yeah if um, in other words, if you are holding to the sacramental view, mm -hmm. then participating is how you become a believer, believer. Ah, yes, <laughs> and yes, benefit yeah. of the cross. Yeah. And even then, one of the faults, there are several faults, one of the faults in that kind of a system is that you venerate the elements more than it really is. Mm -hmm. And so you, um, you, know, you confess your sins to the priest, ahead of time and you come sometimes fasting you know uh, for the morning service and so you because you're going to partake the body and yeah. flesh of Christ right, and you right. venerate to such a degree that uh, you cannot actually be careless with the elements and I'll tell you a story yeah it this was um, absolutely traumatizing uh, when it happened uh, in our family so this was I think the um, uh, during the uh, Good Friday Easter uh, time and everyone is supposed to take at least once a year, you know, the um, elements. Uh, I'm, uh, I grew up in a Eastern Orthodox tradition. And so um, my mother, while participating, dropped the mm. bread mm. And, uh, and it was those thick, you know, old uh, choir carpets and they could not locate it. So the idea is that if you drop it, you have to kneel down and lick it with your tongue. You're not oh, even wow. touch, supposed to touch it with your hand okay. because it's so venerated and because it's uh, become the body of Christ itself, hmm. you see. And so hmm. uh, they couldn't find it. They lifted the carpet and they did everything. And so we had to have a separate Eucharist service the next day just for my mom and oh. our family. <laughs> and the 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 warning was that or the suspicion was that something bad will happen to my mother mm. you know and, and so very traumatizing now let me get back to 
you know, the fault in that is that we venerate these elements to such a degree that that element, participating in that element becomes mm. the means for becoming a believer or benefiting from the... I guess that's problem. probably their way of interpreting taking the the body and or the bread and the wine in an unworthy manner. Right, right. right. Is their interpretation yeah. is, is somehow it's dropped or... Yes, yeah. Um, At least it will be one of the uh, one, one of the ways in which they will apply that. So yeah. I guess in our culture, one of the ways to explain it is, you know, how would this be different from a prasadam? And I think maybe for non-believers, uh, helping them understand it. Because again, sometimes they come in, they see yeah. this. Yeah. Um, they may look at this as a kind of a prasadam and so... Yeah. Uh, they will, you know, if it's offered, they might take it. Yeah. How is this kind of helping them understand the differences uh, yeah. for yeah. that? It's it's hard, and um, I I think I learned it the hard way. Um, I, I still don't know how to interpret this experience. I was mm. pastoring another congregation, and in between congregation that had come out of a Methodist group, and they wanted some direction, and so um, I was leading in the communion, and I. Uh, uh, along with the other elders I was distributing and there was one uh, one member's father who was mm. a Hindu mm -hmm. was visiting from Calcutta mm. and uh, I knew that he is a Hindu he's not a believer but he was there and so when I took the uh, you know bread to him uh, uh, I told him no he can't participate okay um, well he withdrew his hands and we finished and after the service he took up issue with me and he said, yeah. if you come to our, you know, worship place, uh -huh. we will offer you the prasadam. Right. right. Uh, to me, this was your prasadam and you refused and yeah. I will never again, you uh -huh. know, step into the doors of a church. Mm. <laughs> now, I don't know if he really literally meant that he'll not go to a church, but I thought about it. I mean, um, you know, should we offer, mm. you know, these elements to people like that uh, or uh, even Christians, you know, uh, who come from that kind of a background, do they have that kind of an idea. At the end of the day, you know, I don't think anything terrible is going to happen to that, right. that individual mm -hmm. person mm -hmm. uh, if they took it. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, he's not definitely going to receive the benefit that he mm -hmm. thinks mm -hmm. it is going to, you know, right. be, you know, benefit him. I see the similar mentality even with, uh, even among us conservative evangelical Christians, where we use this language, you know, I come prepared for the Lord's table. Mm. And uh, many times, I, I think I can say, looking back in my own early Christian life, that you know sometimes you are not as careful uh, during the week or during the rest of the month with your <laughs> spiritual life. Mm. But when you know that the Lord's table is coming, yeah. you're more careful and you prepare more, you mm. stay holy, maybe you're praying more, you're fasting more, and then you come prepared. I think there is a little bit of that faulty idea where we venerate the elements more than it actually is. Mm. I don't know if I'm actually answering your right. question, but there, yeah. there is that mindset with which we wrongly approach the element rather than saying these are um, uh, memorials conducted by the church to call our attention to the benefits that we already enjoy in the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right. And I think going back to what you had said before, it's important part of the instructions giving when you we give um, to kind of let them know this is for yeah. believers and it identifies that those people who are partaking right. understand the meaning of this and believe in the gospel right. and right. participating in this is a statement about the gospel right. for believers. So as much as we can explain and even if they still partake of it, like you said, uh, from our side, have we tried to explain as much as we could? Uh, maybe not 
and maybe as you said, as you think through pastorally, what is the best practical right, solution? Right, right. Um, they still take it or they didn't understand or if there's someone else there to explain yeah. it. Usually, I've seen that if you explain it, they understand it, they don't. Yeah. They don't take it. Yeah, yeah. But again, they may feel like they want the blessing and they, yeah. they, they interpret oh, they, it that they way. They interpret in some, um, even in our own church experience, we have had people who say, I don't want to become a member, mm. but I want the benefit of participating in it, and they insist on taking it. Yeah. Um, we, we usually don't you know, force them out right. you know, or, or say, no, you can't, but we do tell them even uh, in our follow-up conversation with them, maybe you should think more about it because uh, Lord's Table 1 is that it reminds us of what Christ has done, and we are participants you know, uh, of its blessings, uh, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, but it is also a church activity. Uh, from early on, when we read the scripture, it was given to the disciples, mm -hmm. and it was practiced by the church when they gathered together. Mm -hmm. And so this is given to the church. How can you not be a member of, active member of a church, mm -hmm. but only attribute certain value to these elements and not give value to the participation? Okay. Uh, which is why I believe, uh, you know, I personally like the word communion, mm. <laughs> you know, because this is a communion in, in one sense, I, I think in the sacramental church is communion between us and God mm. through this. But I think there is the, you know, horizontal communion that is taking place mm. uh, between believers, you know, uh, which, which <coughs> actually is very important how we do it as well, uh, that it is just like you know, baptism is given by the church. Even the Eucharist is given by the church for its members. Yeah. You know, although there is some, you know, some some leeway, like those who are visiting or those who insist or those who don't understand. Yeah. I don't think anything terrible is going to happen right. or any additional blessing is going to be received. Right. The blessing is really in applying the meaning to our 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 hearts with regard to our sin forgiveness and assurance of salvation, and also blessing of belonging to a body. So uh, you, you mentioned, and we'll get back to the second issue, which is the baptism, but you talked about this is, a, this is given to the church to practice. Right, right. So can we practice it at other places? For example, I've seen it sometimes at weddings. Yeah. Um, I think it's an interesting thing, but I'm not so sure that's the design of it. Hmm. The design is part of a body. So if we are partaking in a Lord's table, we yeah. are saying that we have gathered together as a local body, as a local assembly that that is a unit of the larger universal right, church. Right, right. But explicitly, in terms of the practice, has been given to the local church to practice. Right. So what do you think about people who do it at different things, like camps or weddings, yeah. conferences? Yeah. Um, do you think uh, it may be taking liberties or... Is it okay, or, or what? Are you, what are your thoughts on that? But, um, I, I, I've also heard the uh, you know Lord's table being done table-wise mm -hmm. um, at some event in a seminary. Table-wise, table-wise. Yeah, so uh, the students are sitting at meal. Okay. Uh, maybe with some faculty, and so whoever was leading okay. said, you know, go ahead and break the bread among yourself table-wise. Okay. And you know, uh, drink the cup. Table-wise, so uh -huh. uh, so it became a small group activity, uh, you know, among few who are sitting together mm. and things like that. Um, see, ultimately, 
this this is related to church discipline as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Right. One is uh, definitely the personal aspect of you know um, remembering what Christ has done for me. Mm -hmm. There's definitely that individual personal dimension to it. But it is much much more than that. Uh, I think in in our teaching and preaching in our church itself, we must remind people that the entire New Testament is written not to individuals, but to the church. You know, you, yeah. um, my co-pastor keeps reminding you all, you all, you yeah. all. <laughs> Sometimes we have the text on the board. And we don't have you, a second person plural in English. <laughs> in so. English, so, uh, but that's how it is written, you know, mm. you all. And we have personalized it so much, individualized it so much. And there is definitely that value, but uh, that this is a church uh, activity. This is a church uh, spiritual Thing that we are doing and when you say a church you have to have elders or pastors um, uh, you know overseeing it and therefore uh, I don't think that it can only happen within the building of the church you know what I mean like mm -hmm. what we call the sanctuary of the church mm -hmm. I, that's not what I'm saying uh, so it has nothing to do with the building as much as it has to do with the people that constitute the authority, the, the, the authority, yeah, okay. the authority of the church, the spiritual oversight of the elders who watch over our souls. And so uh, they, um, if their presence is uh, not there, mm -hmm. I don't think anyone and everyone can participate. So um, can we do it at camp? Yeah, if majority of the church folks are there mm -hmm. and the elders are there, right. uh, we can do it at church. I don't think it has to be, okay. but can we do it at a wedding? Yeah. Uh, I would say no, because yeah. you know you have, you don't know who who's, who all are there. Well, it's in the wedding, just, what I've seen, yeah. it is not everybody who partakes really. Okay. It's just the bride and the groom. Oh, okay, okay, that so, is very Catholic. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, that is very Catholic, okay. or you know, Eastern Orthodox, where the elements are given to the. Uh, yeah, the okay, so I guess in a sense it is tying the picture of the oh, uh, yes. husband and wife as a Christ in the church right, right. and they are partake of this in a sense connecting that story with right, the Lord's right, table. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, that's yeah, well, interesting. On that, you know, I'll also add that um, even now sometimes I watch, you know, the weddings of relatives or, uh, or friends uh, from uh, the Eastern Orthodox uh, Church or the Syrian Orthodox that there is so much in their liturgy mm -hmm. that draws the attention, if people are paying attention, by the way, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I don't think is taking place, but there's so much in the liturgy that draws the connection between the earthly marriage to the spiritual marriage between Christ and, uh, you know, the, the body. Yeah. Uh, you know, there is the, uh, after the tying of the thali or the mm -hmm. knot, I've seen the bishop or the priest, he is the one who puts that, um, ornamental sari <laughs> over the bride mm. it's a, it should be the right of the bridegroom he yeah. just stands there kind of helps <laughs> and i've heard the you know a bishop explain the significance of that mm. that the this bride is the body of christ and so that it's a symbolic act pointing to the couple belonging to the larger you know marriage mm. <laughs> larger body of christ so there's, there's so much that, that those are elements that we miss out and we are personalized and individualized mm. in so much that we lose the picture of Christ and his body. Well, I, I think that's important because we need to understand this practice in the context of the church. And again, if you go to even 1 Corinthians 11, yes. he talks about you know, the, the issue of one taking, partaking of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. Yeah. But he also talks about it how 
it is a you know related to some matter of church discipline too right, right. that this the unworthiness or the way they've taken it has resulted in discipline from the Lord. Yes. And if it is not disciplined by the church, it's going to be disciplined by the by the Lord. By the Lord, and, yes. And so it's very much tied to their gathering together, right, you know, right. coming together. I think yeah, yeah. five times in this particular passage, he says, when you come together, right, when you come right, together. Right. The idea is the table is about bringing us together. Right, right. And as a body together, yes. we take of this yeah, table. Yeah. Therefore, this practice is a community practice. Yes, it is, is yes. not... Yeah. a practice just for anybody to do. Yeah. Yeah. And therefore, like we're here at the seminary, we wouldn't offer that in a chapel right. because we're not instituted as a church. Right. Our seminary professors are elders in other churches right. and right. They, have, they have their commitments to that local body and yeah. under that authority, right. Right. they can participate and, and serve. Yeah. Yeah. The, the and I think that's, that's a, a profound and, and very careful way uh, we do that. I mean, we... Uh, all of our faculty are responsible leaders in churches, but we don't carry out that same responsibility towards our students, you know, except maybe one or two who are members of our own, church, our own yeah. congregations. Mm -hmm. We do exercise authority. It's more structural. It's more, you know, political mm -hmm. or, you know, it's more, a little bit more uh, institutional, institutional. Yeah. yeah, not political, institutional. Yeah. Uh, but it does not amount to the same spiritual authority. Yeah. Uh, we guide them, we help them, we pray for them, we sometimes call them or even reprimand or discipline them, but mm -hmm. it still does not have the same covenantal authority of a local congregation. Yeah. Which is why I think, you know, going back to how it is defined by the community, why baptism yeah. is an important part of yeah. a prerequisite. Now, some people will say it's never mentioned in the scripture. Um, why are we making that as a precondition mm. for um, for the Lord's table? Lord's but I think then, if you don't, if you look deeply and try to look at closely, what does the baptism mean? Right. It right. is a declaration and a participation in the waters of baptism under the authority of a church right. Right. that is now stating that I am a believer. Yes. And unless somebody has make it, made that statement, yes. then how does one participate again in the same community? Right at right. the table. Yes. So it's a theological understanding of the meaning of baptism yes. and its relationship to the to the ordinance of the Lord's table. Lord's These are two table. Yes. very interconnected right. Right. very practices. And yeah. so, you know, initially myself, I would also think, yeah, it's true, it's not explicitly talked about, right. Right. but that's because I've not thought through what the meaning of baptism, baptism is. is. Yes. Yeah. Therefore, it's not just a believer, a yeah. believer who has declared his faith under the uh, waters of baptism through a church yes. and therefore now participating. Now that baptism may have had it happened yeah. at another church, right, right. but that's fine because yeah. he may transfer his membership yeah. from that church yeah. now to the authority of another yeah. church. And therefore that goes to this third part, which is then the church membership. Why yeah. is it so important to have uh, at least the commitment to that local church? Right. And so when he comes to that church and says, yeah. I'm here, I'm under the authority of this church yeah. and therefore my participation is in, yeah. is in line with this. Right, right. So which goes now to another question is, you know, how do how does this connect to church discipline? Right. And maybe right. have you seen experiences where that has been used and what is the, the ground for using the Lord's table as part of church discipline? Right. Um, well, I, I don't have personal experience of having someone uh, told not to participate in the Lord's table. Um, uh, uh, let me rephrase that. We uh, I can think of a situation where a member was uh, excommunicated meaning removed mm. from its membership and in that particular case we had to advise him not to actually even attend our church but attend 
uh, at another congregation under our guidance uh, because of certain you know complexities that were involved uh, it would have made it very hard for him and uh, you know uh, other members of the family so um, as far as we know he was not you know uh, at least we told him that he shouldn't be participating in the Lord's table until he repents and are restored back uh, you know to the church and uh, to the Lord uh, and to other relationship that he has estranged to himself uh, so I don't have a situation, I can't think about a situation where the member who was disciplined mm -hmm. in the church, he's still present in the church, but mm -hmm. was not allowed. Well, what if the situation is this way? You know, as part of a discipline, the church leaders decide that he needs to abstain from Lord's table right, for a particular right, period. Right. But he comes to you and says, you know, where in the scripture does it say you know, to withhold the Lord's yeah. table from me yeah. uh, on for, for discipline, aren't right. you misusing the Lord's table? Yeah. Uh, and where do we get the authority to, to do that? Right. No. Uh, let me give a situation, um, maybe real, but maybe you know, just making up, but uh, it's very possible. Uh, let's say if the pastor is here about a uh, um, very rebellious or insubmissive wife in relation to her husband, and if the elders hear about it and uh, confronts her and if she is unrepentant uh, or let's reverse the role and if we hear about a husband mm -hmm. who is abusive, uh, mm -hmm. rude, uh, insensitive, you know, um, and uh, not loving his wife uh, and after the church leaders confront him and he's still, you know, uh, continuing his behavior, then I, I would say the elders have the authority to say, no, you should not participate in the Lord's table. And in that case, uh, like I said, you know, uh, if people who are continuously attending our congregation, uh, we tell them you cannot participate unless you become active members of the local church, but we don't force the issue. We don't twist mm -hmm. their arm. We don't withhold the elements. We gesture and leave it to them to make that call. But I think uh, if a husband who is abusive of his wife or a wife who is, you know, um, not submissive and rebellious or uh, let's say if a person is, you know, repeatedly gossiping and doing, you know, backbiting and you know, doing harm in the body of Christ and not repenting, then I think the elders have the authority to say, you are harming other fellow members of the body of Christ. And this, this church in its right conscience cannot administer the Lord's table. Uh, because you are not you are not benefiting anything out of this, and this this is undermining uh, the nature mm. and dynamics of the body of Christ. So, in a sense, especially specifically as we're talking about an unre unrepentant yeah. a person, uh, the table is a table of fellowship also. Right, right, right. And when we are communion, like you said, to with with communion with each other, right. and as long as this is an unresolved issue, yes. uh, and as a, and I think the authority of the church says that. This is unresolved until this is resolved. This fellowship then is, in a sense, um, affected. Yes. In fact, yes. it makes a mockery of what yes. this fellowship means yes. 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 Uh, in terms of being unrepentant about that yes. and still wanting to partake in a table, yeah. Yeah. yet claim to have fellowship yeah. with, with At another. best, it is hypocritical. Yeah. You know, everybody knows that there is wrong and we are just pretending. And I think at, at worst, we are allowing this person to continue in his behavior. There is almost nothing that stops him from changing his behavior mm -hmm. if we allow him to continue 
mm. uh, participating in the Lord's table. Right. Well, rem going back to the time of COVID, there was, you know, became a huge debate <laughs> right. about right. whether we could have our um, communion in our own homes, yeah. if we could do it virtually. Uh, there were different solutions. I think some of them would would go and distribute the elements to right. the churches right. and then yeah. have it done there. Uh, and I, as we're trying to go back, we're going back again to what is the table. It is a table about gathering together. Right. Now, looking at the pandemic, it created an unusual situation mm. around the world. Yes. yes, We all wanted to partake of a table and yeah. benefit yeah. of what it means and, and reflection. Some churches said, no, we're not going to participate right. until we meet together. Right. Some said, you know, let's not make it um, an issue. Yeah. yeah, We're virtual. Let's all take it together in a right. very virtual way. This is an adjustment for the time being. Right. Uh, what are your thoughts and what did your church do as they thought about? Yeah, uh, we, we were very clear we were not going to um, have virtual communion mm -hmm. or that the pastors were going to uh, members' uh, homes. I know of a uh, uh, sacramental church where mm -hmm. the um, presbyter went house to house along with his assistants and offered um, you know, the um, uh, Eucharist uh, to its members. I know of one situation uh, or one church that did that in Bangalore. Uh, maybe others did as well. Um, I know uh, some of our uh, you know, people, network, uh, pastors in the network, um, brought up this question for discussion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, I think there were good intentions right. uh, because if this is an instruction that is taught by the Lord uh, not to be missed, you know, uh, and I'm somewhat persuaded this is another question, how often mm -hmm. should we do the Lord's table? But I believe, um, or I'm inclined to believe that, you know, it should be a regular, you know, um, uh, part of our worship. Uh, because it was in the early church. It was a regular part of the uh, worship service. So if it is such an integral part of our worship service, our corporate worship, then we shouldn't we, you know, have this. And mm -hmm. so there were good intentions not to miss mm -hmm. the blessings of participating in it. But I think it misses the point again. Uh, you know, you mentioned about First Corinthians um, 11, uh, five times, you know, unmistakably. It's almost like... Paul had, or the Spirit of God had, pandemic in view as well. <laughs> when you come together, when you come together, five mm -hmm. times, uh, the Lord's table is to be, you know, exercised when you come together. They'll say, "I'm coming yeah. together virtually." Yeah. Virtually, <laughs> <laughs> it's, no. I, uh, if you really want the, you know, a response mm -hmm. from that, mm -hmm. see the first use of that word yeah. or or that idea is in relation to the church you know, coming together to exercise uh, spiritual gifts, mm -hmm. you know, in chapter chapter 12 to 14, no, it's slightly after, right? Mm -hmm. Chapter 14, it uses, the same word is used twice. Uh, in another sense, not the same word is used in husband-wife coming together. Mm. You know, you can't husband-wife yeah, come together yeah, virtually. virtually. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think there are some marriages being yeah, done virtually. There, there, are, there are a few I've heard, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not the same Greek word though in First Corinthians 7. But I think, you know, Maybe Paul didn't envision pandemic, right, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think, you see, we can still, you know, spiritually, uh, imaginatively participate in the Lord's table without the actual substance being mm -hmm, involved. Mm -hmm. The real issue is, again, church discipline. When we do, you know, uh, church 
uh, I mean, in homes or virtually, uh, who is there to watch over, who is participating, mm -hmm. right? Um, are, are people being careful uh, in the manner in which, you know, they are, they are participating in this? You know, are children present, are relatives present? Um, there, there's definitely the absence of, you know, pastoral oversight or the oversight of the elders in that issue. And so uh, I would shy away from it, mm -hmm. although I don't think I will condemn those who right. <laughs> did participate because I think they had good intentions. Yeah, I can empathize with the desire right. to want right. to be able to participate and partake, to continue what the, the meaning of that table really is. Yeah. But I yeah. think there's another side of it where if you think about it, this is the one act that requires us to be together. It is a table. Right. It right. is a right. table of fellowship. Now. Yeah. When we are eating in our own homes, and that's the other side of what Paul talks about, you can eat in your own homes. In your own homes. That's yes. not the same thing as the table when you right, do come right, together. Right, when you right. come together, you're coming together to this table yeah. of fellowship together. And it goes back very much to how the, the, the meal is yeah. very much emblematic of that fellowship, even as it points forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb and right. our presence with Christ and Christ's time with his, his disciples and the feeding of the 5,000. The fellowship around food yeah. is again emblematic of a close fellowship. Right, right. And the second part of it is the power of the embodiment of our bodies. Right, right. The importance of our bodies. Now we live in a virtual world and the idea of our bodies becoming kind of virtualized yeah. and, and yeah. now work from home is getting there. And again, yeah. those are all interesting concepts, but as it goes through our anthropology about who we are, our bodies right, right. are vital to who we are as human yeah. beings. Our gospel is connected to these bodies. Right, right. When we're yeah. saved, we're not just about going to heaven spiritually. Yeah. Yeah. It's about being resurrected yeah, to, I think, to the body. I think body. that is an area that uh, needs more teaching and exploration, the theology of the body. The body, you right. know, uh, what, what does this, this body mean and right. how, how spiritual is our body? If you think about there's so much symbolism, there's the yeah. body that is broken and right. the body yeah. of believers are gathered together right. to partake of it. Yeah. And the embodiment is so vital for its participation right. because right. a real body was also broken for us. Yes. You yes. Know, Jesus is not a spiritual body, it is a yeah. real body. Yeah. So the, the all of the elements of the embodiment and, and interestingly as one of the challenges I see church is facing, more yeah. and more believers are very comfortable right. with doing right. church online right, right because they have you know when you have an ecclesiology that kind of strips down yeah. church to certain bare functions you sing you know that can be done virtually you yeah. can preach you can give virtually you can do everything virtually right, right. in fact there's a church now uh, taking it to the next level which is uh, to the next thing called the metaverse the okay. metaverse is now a virtual reality you can take these headsets you're immersed oh, right, in right, 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 and right. you can be in a church makes you feel like you yeah, are there yeah. and a person told me that even when it comes to prayer you can put your hands together right, he said right. he felt like almost like as if his physical hands were touching <laughs> wow. someone that's yeah. how much the connection now between the technology and our bodies right, are right. but i think that creates again an artificiality of what the design of God has been is our right. bodies are unique. Right, right. Technologies are wonderful, yeah. yet they don't re change the way of our humanity being part, our bodies being a big part of our right, humanity. Right. And our churches need to see that as vital to what it means to be a community. And I think one of the benefits of, of talking about a regular Lord's table is mm. that we need to get together if for main thing is yeah. to Break the bread Break together. Break the bread. And how do you practice, you know, for example, the closing line, when you come together, wait for one another. Wait for how, one another. <laughs> how do you wait for one another? Oh, 
wait upon one another, give mm. consideration for one another, or even to practice uh, or uh, to uh, not practice what the Corinthian church was practicing, you know, the rich people enjoying one meal mm -hmm. while the others are enjoying another. Right, some people have yeah. nicer bread than others yeah. and mommy have so wine. And <laughs> yeah, there, there's nothing, you know, um, comparable there yeah. to the actual uh, oneness. Oneness, yeah. That, You're not sharing of, a, of yeah. a common table. Yeah. Of a, and these are not just things that we are kind of maybe adding a lot of meaning and value to. Right. When you go back to the Old Testament, you can see all these physical sacrifices. Right, right, right. These were practices given to the people so that through the practices, God can teach. Yes. Now in the church, all of those things have now been put into one simple act right. of a table. Right. Now we right. tend as modern people, again, this is where the problem of a memorial view is, can be, is we tend to just conceptualize things. Conceptualize, and so this yeah. is just the body, this is the blood, this is what it means. And as long as we know the meanings, right, right. and that's it. Yeah. But the yeah, other and layers, as long as I'm worthy, I'm worthy. I've, <laughs> you know, I've gone through these steps. Yeah. So we've kind of stripped down the 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 community building element yeah, of what yeah. the table was meant to be, and we've stripped down the faith to cognitive elements. So so we have to be careful of uh, again not trying to make things too legalistic. Right. We're not trying to ask. We're asking people to reflect a little bit more deeply on what did the table really mean and do. Yeah. And before you say, okay, let's virtualize it or not, think a little bit more about the theology of what it means to gather together physically right, right. and our bodies. Yeah. And I think there is also the element of sacrifice, personal sacrifice, you know, which actually goes with the, you know, the very uh, meaning and purpose of the communion. Mm -hmm. What I'm talking about it is um, you know, we, we it takes personal sacrifice to get up from your home mm -hmm. and go to the church and be part of the church and be right. able to relate to one another and, mm -hmm. you know, forgive one another and welcome one another, receive one another, you know, to practice all of those one another. There's uh, much limitation to that when you limit the whole church activity virtual. Yeah. You know? And the physical presence is not a, a small thing. It's not a small, small thing. thing. Oh, I yeah. was talking to a believer who was telling us, you know, during the pandemic, they were watching uh, the service from home. And, and after time, she kind of went through back to Amazon just to book things. And then she realized, you know, I wouldn't do this if I was in, in, the, in the church. <laughs> yeah. And there's so much of a disconnect between yeah. what is going on because yeah. I'm not with the people right, there. Right. It's not that somebody's watching me on Amazon, you know, if yeah. I get a privacy screen, then nobody right, can right, see right, I'm on right, Amazon. Right, right. But it's the fact that yeah. I'm here with others and yeah. I'm sharing with them. Right. Their presence and my attention to them matters. Yeah. Yeah. But virtually, it, my attention doesn't. It, it, it doesn't. doesn't and I can tell you even, you know, the two years that we uh, had the lockdown or and in between, of course, we were open too. That even at home, if uh, all it took for the family to be distracted was if our, you know, dog started barking or, you know, some, you know, the milkman came in with you, you know, something <laughs> like that. I mean, there's so much we accommodate being virtual. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we are not really, you know, 100% connected. Now, it's very possible someone can counter-argue and say, even when we are physically present in the church building. Our minds can be somewhere else. You know, right, we right. could be in another world, but right, right. there is still so much... There is a mystical, uh, spiritual, what is what I really mean, union that happens in the personal meeting of fellow believers. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what heaven is going to be. Yeah, it's personal sure. and it is, uh, you know, presence right. of believers. We are not going to exist in some kind of a virtual, 
mm. you know virtual world we are going to be physically together in the body and you know uh, in, in the flesh uh, fellowshipping with our god what yeah. about those who maybe are bedridden you know yeah. i i worked for about a year uh, doing the ministry at an old age home and right. um would do the table around for those people but there were a few people who asked Mm. for me to come there and do it for them and pray with them and right. share with them in a table for them to to get to experience so i did it yeah. but as i think about it also again as we think more about the community and the communion mm. i think there are certain pastoral things that we can also understand again we're right. not trying right. to legalize right. the practice right. we're trying to value yeah. the importance of the community yeah. but is there a way for people who are in unique situations bedridden right. Ill, right. Yeah. for them to partake yeah. and if so what are the things we can do to help them partake of yeah, it yeah. but i, but I keep think it uh, the the first thing to do especially in our kind of a church is to teach our congregation not to misunderstand um what we do mm-hmm. um you know don't don't misunderstand this as the extreme unction one okay. of the sacraments of the catholic church mm, okay. where you know bedridden people are you know given their last you know um uh, eucharist right. so to speak okay. so yeah. don't go there right, right, right. um but i think there um there is value and it can be done i have done it where uh, we had a lady who was dying of cancer uh, she could not come to church she was not too far from the church also we could actually walk across uh, to her house uh, when the request came i uh, called the elders and i told okay if we are doing it we need to do it as a church and so we gathered enough of church people uh we had the lord's table that day and so after the service enough of church members uh, we carried our bibles we carried our hymn books and uh we went with the elements along with the elders and we uh, did a second mm-hmm. short you know communion service so to speak in her house with her extended family and made it as meaningful as we could as we did it in you know in the church building mm-hmm. but so it is possible and it can be done and i think we need to be sensitive to those kind of need uh, although again teaching wise i don't think that believer is going to lose out on anything mm-hmm. if that believer didn't right you know um, uh, again a parallel situation is there is a you know a person um, dying uh, not able to go under water you know he got saved you know yeah. uh, at a very critical stage and he is going to you know uh, probably die and can't go under water mm-hmm. for baptism what do you do yeah. uh, we uh, at the bible college where i studied uh, one of the professors um, he had other areas of weaknesses as well what he did was a blanket baptism ah. the, the patient was brought <laughs> near the baptism tank okay and there were others who were baptized in the water but for this individual he threw a blanket uh-huh. <laughs> over the patient believer oh, did he dip the water in or he no, no, just no, no, blanket just, over just a blanket over okay. it so in the name of the father son and the holy spirit okay i'm thinking okay you know you begin these kind of practices you you are setting wrong precedents mm-hmm. it's better to teach that believer you're not going to lose out anything by not going under water i mean mm-hmm. the lord understands your situation and the lord accepts you just as you are uh, but if you are well enough and you are going to you know live on and you know serve the lord of course you should obey the lord in baptism that's the first you know thing that the jesus taught uh, to obey mm-hmm. and uh, but i don't think we need to <laughs> you know practice all these things unnecessarily 
or take it too legalistically. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, I think I think there's a pastoral side of all of these things right, to always right. keep in mind. Yeah. And then the yeah. meaning and the, the things we're trying to to teach and as a community practice, there are times where the the needs of, of caring for the right. people, especially in their uh, difficult times, yes. how can this you be used to minister to them? Again, like you said, the exception doesn't make a rule, no. yeah. uh, nor should it be used as a way of saying, can we then, if we did this, can we now <laughs> right, right, right. continue to expand yeah. it? Expand yeah, one it of the out. big challenges of pastoral ministry is uh, not setting you know, bad precedents. Mm. But even when we say that we cannot be legalistic or you know, rigid and dogmatic, we have to walk with people in their shoes, so to speak. We have to walk with them closely to feel and understand and empathize. Mm. And sometimes we may make allowances, but that's where I believe, you know, teaching is very important. At every point, teach. What, what do we mean, what we don't mean? Right. <laughs> you know, um, when, when is a baptism, baptism? When is a baptism, not baptism, you know? <laughs> uh, now, I, I know my mother, when she was baptized, uh, she knew that she was not going to be permitted by my father, and so she got secretly baptized. And okay. It was so secretive that the man who baptized actually, you know, walked with my mother and my aunt and his wife, and they pretended like they were going to the, you know, stream downstream okay. for washing clothes and wash, you know, giving a bath to his cow and things like that. And then dipped my mother and came. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's not baptism, yeah. you know, and she needs to be baptized in a local church, you know. So you need to explain the meaning and do it right. Mm. And I think teaching from the scripture at every point is more critical than what we actually do. Mm. Well, and sometimes, you know, in, in trying to contextualize, some will argue, well, maybe what if we were to make uh, the, the bread and the wine more relevant to our Indian culture. So say, maybe let's take the coconut, the water yeah. <laughs> being yeah. the water, and then the flesh being the flesh, and it kind of symbolically connects both body and blood. <laughs> right. So why right. can't we use like coconut water and coconut yeah. flesh as the body and the blood? Right, right. Uh, what do you say to, to that idea? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think it is stretching our imaginations you know, uh, beyond what the scripture warrants. Uh, I think, you know, historically the church has not contextualized mm. the, you know, elements. Uh, maybe to some degree, like we, we don't use bread, you know, the Jewish bread, maybe th that was used in the Sometimes we use first century. We, we use bread chapati with yeast or, or maybe unleavened, yeah. just there's variation yeah, there. In, in our tradition, we use chapati, so the yeast it, part is taken out. taken out, <laughs> right. So we're really yeah. authentic yeah. in yeah. that but sense. Yeah. Again, I think we should be careful not to trivialize mm. the meaning of, you know, so uh, if it is, you know, coconut flesh and coconut water, what do they symbolize? Right. Mm -hmm. And I think the wine, um, you know, the, the grape juice or the wine that was used uh, symbolizes something, you know. Uh, it may actually, in, in, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, the, the, the cup and uh, wine is also symbolically referring to the cup of God's wrath, you know, that, that, that Jesus participated in. So, you know, can we draw that kind of a parallel with coconut, coconut. water? <laughs> right, and I think so, that's probably the best argument because the, the, the symbols help us, part, you know, engage in biblical theology right, right. about what these, because these are not just instituted right there, they're yeah. going back to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, right. to the Passover, and then those things go back to the right. Old Testament. For us to get that 
connection to the whole grand right. story of right. scripture, yeah. these symbols make sense within the story of scripture. Now you take right. elements right. which have no connection to that story, right. Right. you're right, you're making contextual connections to a body and to the blood in maybe what Indian sense of what we understand as, right. Right. Uh, as two things that are contextual to us. But what you, the disservice you do is you disconnect them from the biblical story. Right. Right. So they can't go to the biblical story yeah. and see the significance yeah. of what is the bread and what is the blood yeah. mean across the scripture right, right. and in a sense you are actually disadvantaging them in the way they read the bible because right, right. the connections can't be as easy right. uh, you're making a connection here but you're losing a lot you're losing on a lot. The, you other know, the, uh, the um, other argument we can uh, take a similar line of thought is you know when paul talks about the oneness of the church of christ you know he talks about we who are many are you know uh, now become one and he draws that analogy with the bread, mm. you know, with, with the wheat or, or whatever grains is used, which is many, is now, you know, made into one bread. And, and so uh, there are, uh, these symbolisms have their biblical context uh, in which, you know, they come from. And I, I don't think we can stretch it too far out. Um, I think chapati makes makes do. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's okay. But <laughs> coconut and coconut water, I think it's like, yeah. too fast stretched right. yeah and maybe as our last question um, and maybe this may be one of the, the more sillier ones but it's a good way to end is you know what do you do with the remaining elements uh, of a church you know yeah. uh, I remember as a kid we I loved going and finishing up all the juice that was there because right, it right, was you know right. that is a time we just got to eat up all the juice drink up all the juice right, right. Uh, and I and I think maybe even in the in the Catholic Church because of its a sacrament, sacrament of you yes, yes. it's the priest that has to consume, right, consume yes. the whole thing right, right. Um, and if, if my memory goes, you know, the, um, the uh, uh, I forget which is Casa and Picasa, anyway, the, mm -hmm. uh, one of the, the, the vessel that holds the wine is dried and not washed. Uh, so you can't even wash perchance any, you know, even if there is a little mm -hmm. bit of the blood of Christ in mm -hmm. the cup, mm -hmm. you don't want to wash that down the drain, okay. <laughs> you know, by water. So it's dried. Right, okay. uh, and I, I've seen, you know, the uh, priest after the, after he drinks up the remaining, he takes the, the uh, you know, special, perhaps sanctified towel and wipes it dry. Okay. And keeps it, you know, uh, upside down. Upside so, down. Mm. Um, yeah, if we don't hold to that sacramental idea, then it doesn't matter who eats the remaining, <laughs> whether children eat or the rest of the thing. I would say, you know, we, we don't want to be careless and just throw it in the dustbin. Right. You know, uh, we just did the Lord's table with it. So we have to be careful, but I don't think, you know, children consuming it is going to be of any spiritual blessing or, you know, any, uh, you know, spiritual harm, harm right, yeah, right. Or, or physical harm yeah. by consuming it. Because, uh, you know, in our churches, we have done, you know, we give it to the children as yeah. well. Uh, I, now in, in my church, sometimes I, I think, um, you know, uh, we are being a little too stringent, you know, we, we make sure how many are there in the church and kind of work from yeah. there. But um, just being careful that we are not trivializing it. But I don't think uh, the theology doesn't say, or, or our theology, that it is memorial. There's yeah. nothing in the element themselves. Yeah, right, right. So it's okay uh, if the remainder is not consumed at all or consumed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope this was a useful discussion for many. Again, our goal here isn't to necessarily make things legalistic about certain elements, right. but we hope you gap, capture a lot of the 
important theological meaning behind the table, the community value, the, the connection to the church, mm. uh, to discipline, and uh, really to the gospel itself. Right, right. And we hope this is a way for you to think a little more deeply about it. And That's more right. importantly, we hope that this is a way that you take also more seriously your gathering right. as a church body, especially in a day and age as more and more people want to be more virtual, that gathering has got to take its yeah. importance and its place. Yeah. We hope this discussion has been very helpful in right, that. Right, right. And uh, I'll just add that line what you said. Uh, don't just make either the baptism or the Lord's table uh, all about your walk with God. <laughs> it's not just about you. It's about also the church. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Theology Ki Baat. If you have any questions or have topics or issues you would like us to discuss, please email us at bath, B-A-A-T-H, at acaindia.org.